Hey, Weather Channel community. So I realized that some of you were not here when I was battling cancer. And so you may not know the story behind our t-shirts, but just as I was finishing my first full year of chemotherapy, I was told that I would need a stem cell transplant. This was after I was already in remission, after I thought I was finished. I was so disheartened and honestly angry when I heard this news. I just wanted to be done. I didn't think that I had one more day of fighting left in me. I was so tired. I was tired of hospitals, being away from my girls, tubes, lines, infusions, being poked and prodded, all of the things. And I begged God to give me endurance to continue fighting. I begged him to give me joy and to provide financially for our family as I continued to fight. And rarely have I heard God respond to my prayers immediately, almost audibly. But on this particular day, when I heard that I had to have a stem cell transplant, he did. And he whispered to me, I have and I will. I have been faithful and I will be faithful. And when you hear from the Lord, sometimes all you can do is mutter, mutter a very humble and quiet response. And my response to him was, you have and you will. And this phrase, you have and you will, became so meaningful and so powerful for me that we decided to put it on a t-shirt so that on the good, bad, and ugly days, I could literally clothe myself in truth that God has been faithful and that he will continue to be, no matter how grim my circumstances looked. And today, that shirt is on sale for others who need this same reminder. So if you want to grab a t-shirt, one of our tees or tanks, for yourself or for a friend or family member or as a group of friends championing someone else in need of this truth right now, you can do so on sale at AllieChristian.com slash tease, or you can tap the link in the show notes. Our world is broken, people are pretty messed up, and let's be honest, sometimes it feels like God is an abusive boyfriend who says I love you, but doesn't appear to be so loving. This podcast exists to remind you who you and your creator truly are, even amidst crisis, and offer stories of hope from people who have faced the unthinkable, yet continue to choose Jesus. Not because it's easy, but because they know that although life can feel excruciatingly complicated, there's holy simplicity found in Jesus. Hey friends, welcome back to the Weather Channel. I am so excited. I have Jamie Nato here with me today. Jamie is hilarious, friends. And while we are going to be talking about a heavy topic, you, I, I can almost guarantee that you're going to laugh and enjoy yourself and have fun as you join our conversation. If you do not follow Jamie on Instagram, you are truly missing out. So make sure that you follow Jamie Nato on Instagram. Jamie, I'll have you give us your handle after, but make sure that you are following her on Instagram. She is one of my favorite people to follow. Jamie, thank you for being here with us today. I'm so happy to be here. I love how you introduced me as like hilarious. And then <laughs> let's talk about suffering. I'm like, oh, well, I, you know, <laughs> hard to make that funny, but <laughs> I'm <kidding. laughs> but I bet you'll find a way to do it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Jamie, would you share a little bit about yourself with us? Sure. Yeah. Um, I've been married for probably 13, 14, maybe 15 years, guys. The numbers are hard for me. Um, I never remember my kids ages also. Um, and I have four 
kiddos from 14 to six years old. So we are just kind of knee deep in parenting at all ages. And I work with essential oils and um, we own a coffee shop. We own a rental property, just like multi. I say we're multi-passionate. That's mm. how I like to say that, which means we're psychopaths that need to keep ourselves busy with lots of new projects. Um, but it's really fun. We have a lot of fun. So I love it. And where is your coffee shop located? Where can you tell us where you are? Yeah, we're in a tiny lake community in Missouri. It's called the Lottie, our little shop. And at Lake Lottawana, it is a really wonderful, small community, but we have just been enjoying so much learning how to make an impact. Um, you know, everybody wants to make an impact in these huge ways and, and be super, I don't know, popular, have all these followers or have what you have to say, be there with a megaphone. And I think a smaller, more pivotal change would be going back into our communities and learning how to serve them. So we are having so much um, fun and and really experiencing a lot of joy by digging into our community in smaller ways and not like, it's not necessarily like our huge money maker, but it sure brings us a lot of joy. And, and so that's kind of our last endeavor that we've kind of been doing. I love that so much. And being a barista is a dream of mine. I just think that they're so cool and I know nothing about it. <laughs> well, I got fired from my baristas. So <laughs> I, you, it sounds cool. And then it's like stress steaming milk. I don't know if I would, I would probably zero out of 10 stars on that because it is so stressful. People are serious about their coffee you can't mess it up. And then you have to do stress math sometimes, like your register isn't working. It's mm. a culmination of reasons why I was fired. They're like, you know what, why, why just stick to talking to the people and uh, making our shop look cute. So <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh. I love it. Well, like we said, we are going to be talking about a heavy topic today. Um, Jamie and her husband just have a beautiful story that the Lord has written for them. And when I first heard your story, Jamie, I think actually it was on your Instagram highlights or something, um, a couple of years ago. And it just, the few words that you said on there just touched me so much. And then I started stalking you a bit and digging a bit deeper and then realized we absolutely have to have you on the podcast to share your story. So would you just give us, I know this can feel like an overwhelming question, but would you just share a bit of your story with us? Just, you know, five to 10 minutes, let us know some background and then we're going to really dig in. Sure. Um, I had been married for around two years when I found out that my husband was having an affair and what was so shocking about that, which is shocking anyway, for a person that you love to kind of step out of the bounds of marriage. But what was really shocking for me was I had grown up a Christian and always in the church and I loved the Lord and I prayed for my husband and I was staying at home having children. We just had our second 
baby. So I had a, a toddler and a newborn. I mean, I was like checking off the boxes of like what a good Christian lady does. And this is all LOL now, guys. Like <laughs> I look back and think about how I saw myself and it's so painful, but um, I thought I was an A plus Christian. Basically, I thought I was doing a lot of good work for God. And because of that, he was going to reward me with a really happy life and a happy marriage because I did the formula, be nice, act good, love God, and, and you'll be fine. But my life was not turning out like that. And, um, I was very unhappy in my marriage and I kept, we were in small groups, we were in church, we were in accountability, we were doing all the things. And I kept thinking, I, how do I get out of this? Like I've, I've, I'm in too far. I have two children with this man, but he is not the person I married. Like something is wrong. And so I would tell people that I told our small group, I told anyone who would listen, our best friends, I told our parents, both sides, like something is just so wrong. And they would be like, he is just really working on his career. Like this is the season and you're having babies. You're, you guys are just in a rough season. And I just felt crazy. I felt like I am so unhappy. My husband isn't who he said he was. And now I'm stuck with this. So, you know, he was having like strange behaviors. He was always hiding his phone. He was, um, he worked in trauma. So he was always, he had a pager. And if you got paged, you had to go because someone is in a car accident and he was a medical device sales. So he was supplying their, you know, the nuts and the bolts and the, you know, when you're in a bad crash. So he would just be gone. Like he could leave at two in the morning sometimes, but there were just a lot of nights. He wasn't even sleeping in our bed. He'd be like, I'm not a case. I just have to sleep in the break room tonight. And so I am thinking this is all so weird and I have a newborn. I am so tired and stressed out and sad. I'm just sad about my marriage. I'm sad about where my life has ended up. And, you know, I really learned to cling to the Lord because no one was listening to me. My husband made me feel crazy. Like, you know, I have to build my career. Like I have to provide for us. Stop acting like I need to be home more and making all these excuses. And so I just had to run into, um, I don't know, it felt like when I, when I think back at that time, it felt like I was running into kind of the cleft of a rock. Like there's an ocean, there's a storm coming, there's lightning in the sky, you're on a beach and you've got to go find shelter pretty fast. And I felt like God was like, Hey, there's going to be a storm. You're going to need to get really close. And I did that. I mean, I was listening to God. I was um, in relationship with God and that was my, that was my saving grace. I think I might've, if not for my faith gone really crazy during that time. So I end up finding some stuff on his phone that is obviously shocking. It's not a conversation with me, but it feels like it should be to me like a lot of honey babe talk. And I'm like, who is, what are we doing? Um, and just inappropriate stuff and just sad. I mean, just out of body experience. I found that. And I said like, you're a bad person. I mean, I really had no big words. I was like, you have to leave and I'm going to take your children and take all your money 
and <laughs> never see us again. So I hope that works out for you. Like I was not, that was not a Christian lady in that <laughs> part of the story. I was just like, you're a terrible person. Like, how can I get away from you? And I just went to my parents and thought, okay, my life is over right now. Like I'm going to have to just start over somehow. I don't even know how I'm going to go get a job. I don't, and my parents were like, okay, my dad's an attorney. So I was like, that sucks for you, NATO. Um, we're going <laughs> to screw you over. And because he deserved it, right? Like you just ruined my life. Mm-hmm. And um, what God did with me during that week though, was just, he worked so tenderly with me on forgiveness when my husband was not even in the picture. Like my husband did not, my husband was not sorry. He got caught. So forgiving someone who doesn't even ask for forgiveness. I mean, let's, that's like a next level. That's like a miracle actually for me to be moved towards forgiveness towards my husband when he was still living in sin. And that's what he did with me during that week was help me learn how to forgive, how to see myself as my husband. Like God was so tender to say, Hey, you're just like him. But with me, you chase after things, you know, that are other gods. And I still love you every day. Mm -hmm. And so it felt a bit unfair because I thought I didn't do anything to have to have this lesson. Like I should, why am I getting this lesson? You know, a little bit of entitlement there. I, I was the one who was wronged. Why are you making me do all the forgiving? Shouldn't he be like crawling back home? And God just did a, a miraculous thing in my heart where I, I had boundaries. Obviously I didn't want to like get remain married with him anymore, but I was forgiving him and I was having compassion towards him. It was strange. Um, I had hope for my own future. I I didn't know what he was going to do or if our marriage was going to work, but I was feeling like, okay, it's not a death sentence for me. So God really working on my identity and him, you know, when you're at the bottom, you know, I'm not a really good mother right now either. So here I'm not a good mother. I'm knee deep in grief. I'm having a hard time, like even getting in the shower, eating was tough. You know, I just would set my alarm clock to eat food and chew it mechanically. And I would, you know, just like you read books to your kids. I don't even remember it. I don't remember any of it. My parents, thank God they were helping me and my friends. I have really good friends and community that came around and, you know, brought me meals or clean my house or just really tangible things. But end of the day, when you go through suffering, it's an alone game and it's you and God, you know, nobody can save you from that Mm. despair except for God. So that was where the miracle happened. You know, we eventually seriously through miracle after miracle, we got back together about a month and a half later and now we get to help other people walk through that or tell our story at least so that people see that there's hope Mm -hmm. that you can recover from it. But it was a lot of work. It was a lot of therapy. It was a lot of conversations, a lot of anger, a lot of tears. Um, but it was our full-time job to come back together and, um, our marriage is very strong. And every day I, 
I'm just so thankful that we stuck it out. You know, we have two more kids. We get to have all these adventures together. Um, and, and those are all things that would have been lost if we hadn't moved forward in reconciliation. So that's, that's the like, I mean, we have videos made on this. We have, I have other podcasts that I'm on. I, you know, we have tons of resources for people, an infidelity course, so many things. If you want like all the details and all that on that, but I don't know if that helps just with the background. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I would love for you to share with us what, because all of that was so hard. Like I can't even imagine. And like you said, it was a miracle. Like it was the Lord working in your life, but I would love for you to share, especially for the woman who is walking through it right now. What was the hardest part? I think the hardest part was thinking that I had done something, you know, it was about me. Like I wasn't pretty enough or skinny enough or, you know, what did I do that made him have to go have not one affair, but two affairs? And am I stupid? Like, how did I not notice everything? And so I think if I could talk to someone who was going through this and what I do say to women is, this has nothing to do with you. You could not have been what he needed you to be. He, he had his heart set on finding something. He was looking for God and he was looking for it in, in somewhere else. So he, his heart was set on that sin. His heart was set on chasing after something that was, you know, an inappropriate way to try to find this missing piece, this love he was looking for. And it's not about you. It's about him and God. And when my therapist mentioned that to me one time at the beginning of a session, I just started bawling because I didn't realize how much I had thought, was I not good enough? What did I do? I thought I was doing everything right. Um, But even if you're doing everything right, and even if you're doing everything wrong, that doesn't give anyone a free pass to go step outside of your marriage and try to look for that somewhere else. So when I realized it was more about him and God, like that was really freeing for me emotionally. And so, and also it helps you when you know that as like a baseline, it helps you not be manipulated later where if they get defensive or they want to say, well, you did this. I had some good truth to combat that idea that it was about me and he needed to own that was his thing. He needed to own that whole thing and take all the blame and deal with that with God so that we could reconcile in our marriage. Because I think people confuse forgiving and reconciliation, like that they're the same thing and they're not. Forgiving can happen whether someone says they're sorry or not. That's an alone journey. Um, forgiving is an alone game. Like you learn to forgive because of how Christ forgave you it, It comes out of you as like a fruit of the spirit. You don't forget what happened, but you work towards forgiving that person. And then reconciliation is when two people want to come together and move forward in their relationship. And that just takes 
extreme ownership from the person who wronged you. Um, I don't think reconciliation can happen in the true sense without that person owning what they did, being remorseful, sorry, and then willing to do the work. And it is work. I mean, it is just really exhausting work to maintain a relationship and grow and make it better than it was before. So I think that's my thought on that. Mm-hmm. I don't even know. I'm like, what were, what was the question? But <laughs> no, no, actually I, that leads me to another question about the lies that the enemy told you. So you, you said that I love that you touched on that. Like you couldn't be pretty or you couldn't be skinny enough. Like you, like all the things, bad cook, whatever. You couldn't have been a good cook, whatever. Um, obviously that's a huge lie from the enemy that you could have done something better. Are there any other lies that you believed that you had to combat? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, there were many lies that I was believing about my identity. Like if I'm not, a, if I'm not a good mom or a good wife, then I'm not good for anything. Mm. And that you just can't um, live your life like that. That is not, God says you have value because you were born. He created you like your value is not on what you do, but what on Christ did for you on your behalf. And that's kind of like the main thing I learned going through all that in my own personal relationship with God was value does not come from people. It comes from God. And the gospel really came alive to me during that time because the gospel wasn't just like you get saved, you know, you pray the prayer and then you're saved and now go read the Bible and follow those rules. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of how I live my life. But the gospel was, became really living to me and active and a place from which I got my identity. So I was doing that work on my own before I could even come back together as a whole person to try to make our marriage work. I needed to do work on my own. And that's why I really tell women, like, you have got to get into therapy. Like, like, oh, well, my spouse won't go. It doesn't matter. You go get the help you need. You go get the skills you need to move forward in your own life. You deal with God without needing your husband to give you value. So when you come back to the marriage, it's a really healthy place to be in. Um, and you can't build on, you cannot build on anything less. It just, it just doesn't work. It's a, it's a lot of, it's a lot of soul work and faith work to be able to come together in a marriage and think that you're going to reconcile and have a really good future together. So I mean, there's a million bazillion lies that you believe, but I think it's all, it all surrounds value and identity as the main thing, which, where you have to start from. Mm. So what would you say to the woman who has done the work and has forgiven, but her husband is not willing to reconcile? Like he's not doing therapy, not maybe not even sorry. Um, what would you say to that woman? you've got to deal with the Lord on that. I mean, I can't give you, I can't give people advice on whether they need to stay or not in a marriage, but Mm -hmm. if they're not repentant, that means it's going to happen again. And 
you have to decide if you want to walk through that. I think there are cases when God calls people to stay despite sin, but for the most part, you know, I encourage women to separate when there's no repentance, get really healthy on their own, um, have really good advice, make sure they're getting into therapy, surround yourself with good people so that you can make a really good decision. But with no repentance, you know, that's, that's on him and you've got to do what you need to do to move forward. I would never, ever suggest that someone stay in abusive situations. And if there's manipulation emotionally and abuse physically and mentally, I, I can't, um, I can't recommend people stay in that environment. So, you know, maybe I'll get in trouble for saying this, but I think, I think a time of separation is good for both sides to get healthy on their own. And to, I think for the spouse that did the sin, they need to understand what that separation feels like as a consequence. Not that I'm making consequences. God made enough for my husband without me, didn't need me, but I needed to get healthy. I needed the space. I had a hard time. Um, not just, I needed him so much that it was hard for me to get healthy when he was around. Right. Because I was so dependent on him. Like the codependence was real and I needed to get strong on my own. So when he was in our, my space, I felt like I didn't do any of the work to get healthy. I just wanted to make him not go. And that's not getting healthy, you know? So I think a time of separation is good, not too long, but I say separate with the covering, like under the umbrella of commitment. Like, I think people just think, oh, you're, you're recommending divorce. No, I, it's always, it's not either or it's and like separate and be committed. And I think you can do both. And I think that worked really well for us to get healthy, especially when they're like, my husband kept doing things that were not showing his repentance. And at some point you say, you know, I'm going to get off this train. Like you are not dragging me through this anymore. And I'm going to go get healthy. I'm going to just start living my life. I can't wait on you to exhibit these behaviors you need to exhibit. Like you're not repentant. Mm -hmm. So I had the counsel of my pastors. I had good, good wisdom. I was in therapy and I felt like that was a good decision for us. And we did, we separated for what felt like a year, but it was only a month and a half or maybe two. And, but we were aggressively both going to get therapy. Like I, I was going to therapy by myself. He was going to therapy by himself. Then we would go together. Then I would go meet with my pastors. Then I, you know, it was, we were constantly working to get healthy. And I think that's what it takes. And I think some people don't want to do that. And I just, I don't think you can build a good, healthy, rock solid marriage without both sides really, really working hard to make it work. Mm. I'm hesitant to ask this question because I don't want to kind of pigeonhole or make people make women specifically think that their husbands need to be like a certain way or, um, do a certain thing. And then they will be ready to come back into the marriage. But I, I would love to hear and for you to share about 
what changed with NATO's heart? How did, what showed you that he was ready to come back together and it was a safe place for you to reunite? You know, just like when I knew that something was wrong before, like I was using language, like it feels like you're having an affair, but it's with your job. Like you're so obsessed with your job. So, you know, you have these red flags. So listen to those, but in the same way that you have those red flags, like when I saw him after a month and a half, he exuded repentance. Mm. So some of it is like deep calls to deep, like, you know, and then the behaviors just are fruit of it. So the fruit that he exhibited was he went to his boss and said, I can't work here anymore. I'm going to go work at, if we had a friend who owned a Chick-fil-A and he was going to take this lower paying job, um, but just exhibiting this, him giving up his job that he was his idol before, you know, that was really good fruit. Like, and he did that proactively. I didn't nag him about doing any of that. Um, he was fasting and praying and he, you know, this was all on his own. Like I, I again, it, it cannot be you prodding repentance. It just happens. Mm. And he, was, that the, was that the Lord working in his heart? For sure. I mean, it, it had to have been because I didn't even know what I needed to see, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I just knew that what we had before wasn't working and it could never be like that again. So I didn't know what it meant. I hated his job. So, you know, I would pray, Lord, like give, give him repentance, like help him to see the areas in which it was so unhealthy for him. And then I got a phone call the next day and he was like, I'm quitting my job. You know, we're not supposed to be talking, but if this concerns you, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to take a lower paying job. And I'm like, I don't care if you make $2, but <laughs> you know, like I am willing to not buy so many throw pillows. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just want my husband back, you know? So things like that. I mean, he, his language had changed. Like you, um, maybe you will never want to be back in our marriage again, but I want you to know that for the rest of my life, I'm committed to mm-hmm. you and our family. And I will pursue you and just tender, sweet. I mean, it's, it's hard to be mad at someone who is like, you can be as you deserve, you have every right to be angry with me. You, I deserve to never be married again and never have the joys of being with my family again. Mm. And, and he would say that, like, I don't deserve this, but I'm going to work to show you how much I love you and how this was not your fault and I'm going to pursue you till I die. Mm. You know, just that's not, you know, that's repentance. Like that is a sacrifice to say, you can divorce me. I'll sign the papers. You, I deserve it, you know, but you're it for me. So it was just stuff probably that I needed to hear. I don't know if that would work in every situation, but it was stuff that I needed to hear. And I think God, you know, that was what my ear was turned towards. And when he was saying that, 
he was spending zero dollars except he would go to the gas station to get gas and probably like a heinous burrito like that was what he was living on it was he was taking care of me by making sure he didn't spend any money so that I had all the money in the bank account he was like you can have the house I'll go he was living with a 70 year old man (laughs) because it was free and you know it was just he was sacrificing for me without even saying anything. It was like, I just saw it, you know? So, um, and he was tender about it. Like, Hey, whenever you're ready, I'd love to see the kids, you know, just, it was sweet that I had the freedom to like heal without him barging in and saying like, let me see my kids. Like mm. I deserve that. And, and, and I didn't hold the kids back from, you know, every kid needs their dad, but mm-hmm. it was just tender. It was not, it was not brash. It was not demanding and it was gentle. And so, and I think that embodies the spirit of God. I think he was just living out the spirit of God. The gospel came alive to him. He was repentant. He was sorry. Mm. And then he was moved. He was compelled to move in action. So, you know, I don't, if, if you hear me talk about this, I don't ever really anymore cry about how painful it was to find out my husband was engaged in infidelity. That is not the part I cry on. I cry now about how tender and merciful God was to restore our marriage and just the sweetest a million sweetest ways. So I cry because of the love of God. I cry because God is so tender and like, um, he helped me so much. He was real Mm. during that time. He made himself so real to me. So, and that's suffering. Suffering brings you to Jesus. And I think if you haven't suffered in life, you're missing a a piece of knowing God Mm -hmm. because he's just so tender with his people and he gathers us to himself in such a way that you can't help but think he is real. Mm -hmm. My faith is so important to me um, because of what God has done. So I think that is what I learned through suffering, whether I got my marriage back or not, I, I got Jesus and and, and it gives me confidence to live today. This is how I live. People ask me like, oh, are you worried? NATO will do that again. Or are you anxious and all that? And I think, no, because God did this for me before and he'll do it again. Like he's so faithful. Mm-hmm. I, I, the reward is Jesus, not my marriage. Mm-hmm. And it was sweet that we got that part redeemed. It does not work out like that for everyone. And I never promised that to people. But I'm thankful that we worked for it and, and that God made himself real to us. I mean, there's no other prize than getting Jesus. I say, like, I was spooning with Jesus and we were that close. Like, I always <laughs> felt like, you know, you're in bed alone and, and you just need someone with skin on, you know, I wanted my husband home. Mm. And I just missed that. And I thought, you know, I actually, I went to bed every night. (laughs) I felt so close to God that I swear his breath was on my neck. Like Mm -hmm. I swear he was holding me through that time. Mm -hmm. And I miss that. Like I miss 
being so needy of God, you know, you get self-sufficient and things get better and you forget how much you need God. And so I am jealous of myself back then in some ways Mm. because I was so close to Jesus during that time. But, Mm. you know, that is so sweet and so encouraging to hear. And, you know, every time I feel like every time I record a podcast and hear someone else's story who maybe I don't have personal experience, um, or maybe a topic that I don't have personal experience with, I just feel like that is so relatable, even with a cancer journey. Like that is exactly how I feel. And I think back and I think, and this sounds crazy to most people, but I think, Lord, thank you for letting me get cancer. Like, thank you for bringing me through that. And thank you for carrying me. That's just so, so rich and powerful and so encouraging to hear. I have two questions. My first question is, I would love to hear when you all first met, like, where were you at spiritually? Because obviously you just said that like, you know, things fell apart, but then you came back and you are both richly seeking Jesus. But where were you at um, when you first got married, first met? Like, was there a disconnect? It almost sounds like there was some kind of disconnect or something going on. I would love for you to share that with our listeners. I mean, I grew up in the church and having a close relationship with God throughout my childhood, middle school, high school, and college. I, I loved the Lord and I had a relationship with him. I think what was missing in that was just life experience. I had, I didn't know what suffering felt like. I did not experience any kind of like horrible life hiccups where I had to cling to Jesus. So I had a really, although I had time with God, I had a long time with God. There was, there was not a lot of depth. So it was just really, it was, I don't even want to say surfacey because I don't want to diminish anyone's relationship with God, but I didn't have the life experience or the depth of suffering to um, really understand who Jesus was to me personally and make my faith really my own. So I wouldn't say I wasn't a believer before. I wouldn't say I didn't understand the gospel before. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't label it as anything. When I was dating NATO, I really truly loved God. I, I, um, felt moved by the spirit to, I was convicted. You know, I didn't, I I was like not a partier in college. I came home every weekend. I didn't drink ever. I mean, it didn't cross my mind to even do any of that. Not that that's a sin. We drink plenty now. Don't worry. (laughs) But, you know, I just, I was satisfied with God. Nato was a newer believer. He had come to Christ in college. And I think the same thing was missing there. We just lack of life. You just don't have enough experience to know what suffering looks like, how to maneuver it. And you can't, it's like when people tell you, like, when you have babies, it's hard. I'm like, okay, great. Like, whatever. I'm still going to have a baby. Like, I didn't know what that meant. So when people said like, oh, you get married, it's tough. I'm like, yeah, right. I'm in love. So Mm. whatever. Sorry that you're not in love. (laughs) And like, you know, I just, I think it was lack of life experience, but 
you don't get life experience magically. You get it through life experience. So there was no other way to get that depth in there. It just, it came because life is full of suffering and will continue to be. But like I said, I'm not afraid of it. I think before I was afraid of suffering, if I could characterize, I was afraid of like, you know, you have a baby and you're like, I hope this baby is healthy. I'm afraid of having a special needs child. That's really raw to say, but I want you to know I do have a special needs child. <laughs> but when you go through something um, terrible and you learn that Jesus is the reward and that he will get you through it, I, I no longer look at the future like that. Like I don't, I know I'm going to have suffering and I'm not afraid of it. I don't wish for it, but I, I'm not afraid of it. And God shows up in suffering. So, mm-hmm. you know, you anticipate it almost because that's where God is. NATO was a newer believer and just didn't probably have the skills and the depth to know that. And he would say this like, oh, now that I'm a Christian, like I would never have an affair because that doesn't even make sense. Why would I do that? Because now that I'm a Christian, I would never be in that position. And then he found himself there. Mm-hmm. So you know, I don't think you can, There, I don't think I would make a characterization about like, was I really a Christian? Was I not a Christian? I don't think it was about that. I think lack of life, lack of skills mm-hmm. and just something God had to build on later. Yeah. And I mean, even something that God was sovereign over, like that he allowed to happen right. in your life, not, right. yeah. Okay. So I think this is my last question. There are so many questions that I want to <laughs> ask, but, um, I would love for you to just touch real quickly, um, on your kids. How old were they at the time? Um, when, well, I guess it was just a a month and a half that y'all were separated. Mm -hmm. Um, how old were they at that time? We had a two-year-old and a newborn. It's like a three-month-old. Okay. They're just a really exhausting season. So they don't remember much of it. They did going through it, it was really painful, um, for the, for our oldest, he would say like, everyone else has a daddy and I don't have a daddy here. Where's my daddy? You know, just, that's so painful because you don't want to hold, withhold their father from them, but then, you know, it's not a healthy environment for you to mm-hmm. be in. So what I tell people when they have children going through this and they're at all different life stages. You know, sometimes this happens when your kids are older and they fully understand what's going on. I like to say the same grace that is sufficient for you is sufficient for your children so that it takes the weight off of me for providing that grace, for providing all the comfort they need. Like God is going to show up for them. And this is going to be a part of their journey and their story and how they view life. And while it's traumatic these things shape us like we have immense empathy after going through that for people who need second chances and um and my oldest because we're open about it we talk about it he reads you know my instagram posts I'm, i'm very open about it but he has immense empathy that just because someone did something bad one time doesn't discount like how God is going to use them in the future. And so Mm -hmm. 
just remember it's gonna it's actually not it doesn't have to be like this bad traumatic thing that um scars and wounds you for life and you're in therapy for life over it it actually can make way for a beautiful sense of empathy and um, compassion and um even just looking back and saying wow god saved my parents marriage and they're happy like truly we're happier than we've ever been together we love each other fiercely and for our kids to live with that I mean that's they're living in redemption so I would say don't discount we always think about the bad stuff that is going to happen to our kids because of trauma and maybe God will do something beautiful with that like he's doing inside of you mm-hmm Oh, I love that so much. And I just love, it's so refreshing to hear your heart and just see how the Lord has reshaped it. Like going from, because I, you know, I'm a young mom right now and I think it's so easy for us and probably even older moms. I don't know. I don't have experience as an older mom, but to just hold so tightly and think like, oh, I have to be such a great wife and such a great mom. And this is my identity and volunteer at school and bake all the things and keep the house clean and make dinner and all those things. And it's just so refreshing, especially on a crazy day, like today for me to just hear, like, that's not your identity that it, like your marriage is not your identity. And these are things that we know, but just when you, when you hear someone's story and you're reminded that mm-hmm. that is not your identity, you've got so many other things the Lord has for you to do. Um, and it's, it's probably not going to look like you thought it was going to, or like you would have been chosen. (laughs) Right. I mean, even like this, your suffering should shape your parenting. So, I mean, I don't put a lot of focus on, I need your behavior to look exactly like this. I more am focused on how do we repent? What does it look like to be sorry? What is the process of forgiveness? What do we do when we know we did something wrong? I think those are, you're getting at the heart of repentance and giving your skills, like giving skills to repent. That This is the basis of life. And I feel like the basis of the gospel is owning your sin, knowing that it crushes you, knowing that you can't change on your own and crawling back to Jesus you know, that has shaped our parenting. And now it's like, if you give your kid one skill, it's, Hey bud, it's okay to be wrong. Like it's a, you don't need to defend this behavior. Mm. And instead of just punishing and, you know, trying to work out this behavior, we learn to go to the heart, like, okay, actually what's going on in here. And Hey bud, I promise you, there's no amount of phone time or hanging out with your friends or whatever, that's going to satisfy your heart. It won't like, you know, just, these are really base level conversations that we should be having with our children that are totally informed and shaped by our suffering. Mm. So it should change your parenting. You should learn to not have your identity by whether your teenager hates you today or not, because (laughs) it's whiplash. (laughs) So, and you'll get there. I mean, you have young kiddos, you're, you're needing like sustained energy right now you're exhausted physically and it'll change you'll be exhausted mentally later I mean you know it's parenting it never stops you're like thank you for that encouragement that was really not encouraging <laughs> but, no, it's, good. it's good to be prepared <laughs> yeah no, no you'll get through it 
Yeah. And I mean, just look what God has done. Like that's, that's all I can think hearing your story and, oh, it's just been so encouraging. So thank you. I want to end on a fun question just because I think everybody should go and be blessed and laugh and have fun. And so we want to know what is on your nightstand right now? Well, I can show you. It's like a, it's a wine glass, but no wine, I promise. It's just water. <laughs> Look at that. I know, it it's full so, water though. It is so simple and cute. Well, this is because we're at our like lake, but, and I have my book. I have, mm-hmm. I'm like constantly reading fiction. So I'm, I love reading. it. I have an energy drink by my bed, um, a glass full of water, wine glass. Um, we had like friends over and my trick is if you, as much as you drink, you got to drink as much water. So I always have water ready for me to drink. <laughs> um, you're like, please don't support drinking on this podcast but <laughs> no, no it's still that I'm laughing because it sounds like you're like an alcoholic but I know that you're not <laughs> yeah no I'm like this is my trick guys no um, <laughs> drinking tips <laughs> it's called be responsible that I've also learned that in my old age like don't be an idiot so these are the life tips I offer you I have a my fiction book an energy drink some water chapstick there's like a oils roller down there Amazing. I love it. Super basic. I wasn't sure if we were going to find anything super interesting. It's kind of like an episode of what was that show on this is like showing my age and also how I used to be as a rebellious teenager. What was that show on MTV where they would go into someone's house and like you would decide if you want to date them or not based on what was on their bedstand. Do you remember that? No, but that sounds mortifying. Yeah. I mean, they had a black light in every, oh yeah. I, I need to figure out what show that was. <laughs> no, I do not want to know. Okay. Well you passed the test. So <laughs> maybe not. You're like, oh, the wine glass. You get two <laughs> no. For that. <laughs> no, we, we drink, but I, I agree with you. Everyone needs to use their own discretion and not make each other stumble. So Well, Jamie, thank you so much um, for sharing. It's just been such an encouragement to my heart. And I know that it's going to encourage so many other people's hearts too. Thank you for having me. It was so sweet and fun. Yes. Then I cried. I always cry. It's like, what is it like to live your life without crying? Oh, girl, I I don't even know. I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea. Hey, thank you for joining us today. I hope you're not falling for a lie that you could never be holy enough to respond to your situation as our guest today did. I know that's sometimes where my head goes when I hear stories of holy struggle, so can I remind you that you have everything you need to respond the same way? Jesus offers hope in our pain, and it usually only requires a perspective shift to notice it. So whether it's time in his word, going for a walk through creation, or a heart-to-heart with a friend, this is your weekly reminder to take time to snatch that much-needed perspective shift.